This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. In just a few moments, you'll meet Adrian Scoble, President and CEO of the Automotive Retailers Association of BC, here today to talk about our cars and trucks and... Well, who fixes them? Who's going to fix all the new electric vehicles suddenly coming down the pike? If there's already a shortage of good mechanics, where do we turn when something goes wrong under the hood? And yes, we will keep our phone lines wide open for your calls. I'm expecting a lot of them, too. But first, here are a couple more of the top consumer stories we're following this week. There's a new study out this week, and uh, it used data from three-quarters of a million people in Europe, Australia, and the United States. Then the study has found that regular exercise reduces the risk of seven of 15 types of cancer. The types that can be affected by an exercise routine are colon, breast, kidney, myeloma, liver, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, and endometrial cancers. This isn't the first time these links have been made, but this study dove into how much exercise was necessary and how much did that exercise reduce the risk of cancer. Naturally, the risk levels weren't the same to begin with, but with a regular exercise program, uh, this can reduce breast cancer, for example, risk by up to 10%, and it can l- lower the risk of liver cancer by over 20%. The researchers caution that their findings aren't definitive, but they are confident enough to recommend adults get two and a half hours of moderate exercise plus 75 minutes of vigorous exercise every week. It's not a lot, but it's important. Use those numbers, two and a half hours of moderate, 75 minutes of vigorous as a guideline, and any combination of those two numbers is good. Sean Hunter, the Canadian actor and teacher who played the husband in the polarizing Peloton holiday ad, (laughs) this is true, gave his real-life partner, Cassidy Barris, an actual Peloton for Christmas. (laughs) The ad for the bike was routinely and ruthlessly mocked on social media early this month. The 30-second ad, you may recall, features a man, played by Mr. Hunter, giving his wife a Peloton for the holidays. Monica Ruiz had a little fun, too, with her role as the wife in the in the bike ad actor ryan reynolds tapped monica to appear uh, in a playful sequel ad for his aviation american gin brand the ad was so trashed online stock in the company peloton dropped by almost 10 percent for a while it's okay now and sean's girlfriend cassidy yeah it's okay too she really likes her present although i doubt it was much of a surprise and as for mr reynolds the latest we hear from vancouver's own ryan reynolds is today dead Pool 3 is a go. It's been confirmed, and we don't have anything written down yet, but it is most likely he'll be back in Vancouver, his hometown, to shoot another version of Deadpool. Those are just a few of the stories we're looking at this week. We'll look at a few more later in the hour, but coming right up, and you'll want to turn the radio up when we come back, Adrian Scoville is in studio, and has he's going to talk to us about people who fix cars in British Columbia, yours and mine. And, well, we need to learn a few things about this, and we will right after this on Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. 
Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. The last Saturday afternoon of 2019, as it turns out, my guest just went, holy cow, it's right. Adrian Scoville is president and CEO of the Automotive Retailers Association of British Columbia. Mr. Scoville, thanks for coming in, Adrian. It's good to meet you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for inviting me down. Who are the Automotive Retailers Association of BC? What do you do? Well, we're, you know, we're basically the 99% of a vehicle's life cycle. So, you know, after it's been sold from its new car dealer, uh, that's us. So oh. we're the guys that uh, tow them. We're the guys that bang the dents out of them. We're the guys that fix them mechanically and service them. Uh, we're also the guys that uh, recycle them. Uh, and we're also the guys that uh, sell used vehicles. Uh, that's really where the word retailers yeah, comes in. Yeah, because it, it sounds like you're the, you're the car sellers of British Columbia, but you're not. Well, you know, it's an interesting way to approach it because I would say, uh, no, that's not our primary focus. But if you look at the life cycle of a vehicle, it's going to be sold as a used car more times than it was as an original car. Probably, yeah. Um, so I generally refer to it as we're the 99% of a car's vehicle's uh, uh, life cycle. Um, so you're likely to have more contact with one of our guys than you were with the original manufacturer. Now, you represent uh, people and uh, people in your industry right across British Columbia. Right across British Columbia. And uh, we've got a couple of reciprocal agreements with uh, people who do similar things out in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Uh, we share a lot of information with each other, a lot of data. Uh, in order to help service the consumers better. Okay. I received a message from friends in the public relations business that you and I both know about you, and, and, and it was all about a crisis looming in the automotive repair business. And this, Adrian, is what I've been leaning on by way of uh, teasing your uh, appearance with us today. I've been talking about you for a couple of days here on NW uh, and just sort of alluding to this mysterious crisis in the automotive repair repair business. So it's not mysterious. It's quite real. Define it, please. Well, statistically, it's very real. Um, we've had a survey done and uh, we're probably going to lose in the next, well, we're, we're about three years into the cycle since the original survey was done. Um, but we're looking at losing about 40% of the skilled labor force. Uh, and the needs of that labor force, the actual skill set necessary to repair a vehicle, is changing drastically. No kidding. I mean, uh, you, you. I mean, just to even have a repair shop, Adrian, is a is a huge investment now because you don't just pop the hood and you know replace a few plugs and and you have to have diagnostic computers. You have to be able to tap into the 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 software of how many dozen different makes and models and an automotive repair pro has to have the gear to handle whatever comes into the shop next plug in a few cords and you're up and running at least to be able to find out what the problem is that's expensive it's unbelievably expensive uh I just got back from SEMA, which is, uh, people may know it on TV. They've seen it around uh, Chip Foose and all the big guys in the, the mod modification of cars, etc. Uh, they often talk about getting a car ready for SEMA. But SEMA is actually um, a technical show. It's, it's where people go to see all the latest tools and technology in the uh, automotive repair business. Is this Specific in Vegas? This is in uh, Vegas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's one, SEMA and Apex. Um, the the SEMA show is actually the tools necessary for body and uh, repair, that sort of thing, frame straightening mm -hmm. equipment. 
And it is mind-bogglingly complex what is happening now. Um, in order for the uh, the automated systems to work properly, um, a lot of the safety systems were ADAS, which is uh, uh, basically these systems that will automatically break for you and give you lane change warnings and all these things right. that we're seeing now in, in uh, coming out. Uh, in order for them to be able to work properly, the calibration is extremely finite. Uh, if you have one of the cameras even a, a degree out, uh, which doesn't sound like much, but even a degree out and it's not functioning properly. Um, so all of those systems have to be repaired properly. The equipment to do it, um, you know, some of the welding equipment starts around $30,000 just for the welding equipment. So have a lot of mom and pop shops just disappeared, Adrian, because they couldn't afford to keep up with the gear needed to do the good job. You know what? What is happening is what, this is the what's on the horizon. You're, you're bang on with what's about to happen. Um, the the technology and the training even that it needs in order to be able to repair those cars is we're going to require um, investments in excess of a hundred thousand dollars, right? Easily in order to to, to stay up. Now you're talking about, um, and I keep interrupting you, but you're talking about the 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 gas cars that we're talking about, all of these, the diagnostic computers and the repair, that's all for the standard issue gas guzzling vehicle, Adrian. There's a whole other thing now going on with electronic vehicles, laws in British Columbia, and you know more about this than I do, which will dictate that at some future point, gas powered vehicles will not even be allowed to be sold as new vehicles in this province. What that year? 2040? 2040. 2040, the government has asked that all vehicles be ZEV, um, that they be zero emission vehicles of one form or another. And today, electric vehicles are are, seem to be the solution that is proliferating. So and, and government is putting its money behind that. We're seeing that. Oh, sure, with incentives to buy vehicles. And you notice that in provinces like Ontario, where the Ford government removed some of the incentives, how electric vehicle sales dropped. People yes. are, are interested in electric vehicles, but not, not interested enough unless the government wants to help them become more interested. Well, you know, this is, this is often the case when you've got uh, things around environmental concerns. They're actually the realm of the wealthy. Um, and if you put us on a global scale, in, you know, Canada in general, we're, we're, this is a very, very wealthy country. Sure. We have the option now of deciding that we're going to opt for something that is more environmentally friendly mm-hmm. because it is all cutting technology. Um, but as it exists today, there's a lot of places where really that is the realm of the wealthy people. Um, so what you're noticing is that when we see these things, everybody sort of gets behind it. We'd all like to see a better, healthier environment. Um, but when it costs people money to do that, well, that's a different concern. Um, and it is a little out of balance right now. I mean, we, we need people to adopt um, electric vehicles in order for um, that sort of uh, critical mass to hit uh, where it becomes popular enough that the prices start to come down. Exactly, yeah. And, and this is a big concern. Sure. Now, uh, as if, there's, if there's a crisis already a brewing in the automotive industry, automotive repair industry specifically, Adrian, mm-hmm. now we're talking about old school cars. Gas cars. Who's going to fix all these new electric vehicles? Well, this, this is a whole new realm. Um, within the, the structure of, of even what we call an ice field, internal combustion engine, you know, a fossil fuel vehicle, we'll right. call them for easy sake. Uh, the technology, there, there is a – well, there are, there, in, an, in the average vehicle today, there are 10 million lines of code aboard the computers on board a car. There's about a million on a commercial aircraft. 
Really? Yeah. The, and, and, you know, we, we, we hear a lot about There's this. There's more code on a car There's, than there's more on, code on a, on a jet car. airliner? There is, That's yeah. crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and if you've got your cell phone in your pocket, you're probably going to multiply that quite considerably, too, in terms oh of, of, of how much code you carry around with you all the time. Okay. Uh, we really don't think of it. Um, but all of that has to be, every time you touch a vehicle, a vehicle has to be scanned initially. And then when service work has been done, scanned again to make sure all of those systems are functioning correctly. Um, so we're seeing that now. But then you're going to have this whole new world of electric vehicles. There will be people doing jobs that don't exist today. Sure. Using tools that haven't been made yet. Absolutely. And I've seen them. I, I've uh, been, as I say, we were talking to some of the new car manufacturers, and we're seeing people coming up with the tools right now in order to to properly service vehicles. Um, and it's not being taught right now. Um, so there there isn't really anywhere you could go Right now, if we said, okay, let's go be a, an EV, electric vehicle mechanic. Um, There's no course to take. Not right now. Now, it, it, it's, there, it's being worked on. And, I'm sure. And, and our people, uh, some of our members, uh, uh, Scott Waddle at Precision Auto out in Langley, for instance, is real uh, sort of breaking the edge on electric vehicles and has been working with BCIT as part of a group putting together the curriculum in order to teach people how to service these Good. things. Good. One of the things about them that we're all sort of used to, you know, people of various different levels can pop the hood in their car and, and touch one or two different things and, you know, get away pretty safely. Um, the difference with, with an internal combustion engine is you're not going to kill yourself with it. I mean, you could injure yourself. You might lose a finger if right. you do something incredibly stupid. Right. Or you could drop it on yourself, I suppose. Um, but it's not going to kill you. Uh, that's different with an EV. Uh, an EV vehicle, there's a, it'll be a bright orange cable running through the vehicle, and it's a warning. It's basically saying this is a high-voltage cable. And in today's vehicles, they're somewhere around 800 volts, roughly. Um, but the new vehicles that are coming out are touching 1,100 volts. Um, less than 100 will kill you. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So okay. you grab that thing, and it'll you know, be the last thing you remember doing. You talked but, oh, sorry but but yet the people working on them there there is no actual requirement for certification and 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 that's the part that is that is really the big concern this is this is what I was warning you about earlier when I, I mentioned Adrian Scoville is going to come on the program later in the program and later in the afternoon and he's going to have a couple of things to tell you that are going to cause you to go really come on now here's one it is true. That in British Columbia, I don't know about the other provinces, and you can fill us in, but in British Columbia, if you want to be a car mechanic, you can put a shingle outside a garage and say, Sterling Fox, car mechanic, and go into business, and off you go. Nobody's going to come by and check your credentials. Do you have a red seal, sir? Well, who says you can fix cars? I do. That's it. That's all you have to have. That is stunning. It's shocking. Why? Well, they, they, we had actually mandatory trades um, in British Columbia, uh, three of which were um, auto-related. Uh, and in 2002, the government of the day uh, decided that wasn't such a good idea or maybe it wasn't needed. And, and I've never actually heard the reasoning why. I, I can't tell you why. Um, but they decided that uh, that was no longer necessary. And we so became- since 2002, uh, it is no longer a requirement of a professional automobile mechanic to have certification papers in order to even go into business. No, correct. Wow. None. Uh, the other provinces do, and, and, and it varies province to province across the country. There is no rhyme nor reason to it, um, but here it isn't. Uh, and the example I use quite frequently is uh, Coquihalla speed limit now is 120 kilometers an hour. Yep. 
So let's go back to grade eight physics and math and say two cars approaching each other at 120 is 240 kilometers an hour relative speed. Yep. The speed of a Formula One race car. And there's absolutely no requirement whatsoever for who fixed the brakes on that thing or any other part of it for that matter. So then you, and back to your association then for a moment, Adrian, uh, the Automotive Retailers Association of British Columbia has, among other things, established minimum quality standards for members. Does that mean if you're a member of the Automotive Retailers Association, you own a garage or some kind of car facility, that if I recognize that your membership, does that automatically mean that at that place, all of the mechanics will be certified? Well, it will mean that that we've gone in and in order to be a member, you don't need to be a certified shop. We You can be a member without being certified. And then we have a certification level beyond uh-huh. that. Okay, so you sign yeah. up and then you, you accumulate points and end well, up with the program. Well, essentially what you do is you, you can become a member because you believe this is the way the industry should be going and, and supporting. There's a number of things we do for consumer safety in particular um, uh, as an association. Uh, and part of that, we have a certification program both in the collision industry and the mechanical industry um, where we would come in and inspect the shop. To, first of all, to make sure they've actually got the tools necessary to do the job. Uh, this is something that, that uh, requires an enormous investment and change right now sure. in order to be able to do. Um, frame straightening equipment, for instance, has to be so precise today. Most of it is laser guided. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about $100,000 for a piece of equipment to be able to properly straighten your car. Now, in the past, that could be done um, actually with chains against a post and you pull. Right. Yeah. And you could measure it out with a tape and you'd be okay as long as you were within a reasonable tolerance level. No no such thing anymore. Not anymore. Right. Not anymore. No, it has to be absolutely perfect. And the original uh, equipment manufacturers actually set out very, very specific um, criteria um, for it. Not only how they they, they are fixed, the tolerance level. But the equipment you are allowed to use to fix their particular car. Sure. Yeah. So for warranty purposes, those sorts of things. For warranty purposes, yeah. et cetera. Um, or, or also just for liability issues. Um, you got to remember that, that I think when we look at a car that's been in, a, in an accident, uh, we generally want it to look nice when it's finished. You bet. That's got nothing to do with why you fix it. You're doing it because it needs to be crashworthy. So that thing was the engineering in a vehicle today. If we look back to the 60s, um, people died in car crashes quite frequently. I mean, if you watch the news today, you'll see a vehicle that's crashed. It's hardly recognizable as a car. Right, right. And they'll say the guy's in hospital or he walked away. I mean, we see fatalities, yes. But, but not, not, not to the extent that we used to. to. Right. No, you, would, you, you, know, you would never survive, um, say, a crash like I was describing earlier uh, in, say, a, a car out of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of the 50s, they would have buried you in it. I that's mean, right. That so, you know, we're used to that. We, we, but that's because of the engineering. And in order to make it crash-worthy again, it has to be absolutely put back together the way it originally was. Our guest in studio this afternoon is Adrian Scoville, President and CEO of the Automotive Retailers Association of British Columbia. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer for our final Saturday afternoon of 2019. We're back next Saturday. It'll just be next year, that's all. I'm Sterling Fox. He is Adrian Scoville, President and CEO of the Automotive Retailers Association of British Columbia. We're talking about a 
among many other things, the people who fix our cars, Adrian Scoville. And you were just pointing out to us in our first segment about the elect the arrives of the uh, electric vehicle and new laws uh, down the road that will require all vehicles to be zero emission of one description or another. The, the electric vehicle is literally changing the automobile industry and everything about it. And you see this as a good thing. For example, with the arrival of the e-vehicles, the long and terribly frosty relationship between ICBC and your group, the Automotive Retailers Association, actually appears to be thawing a little bit. How, how is that? It is thawing. It is thawing. Um, I think that uh, ICBC is realizing the, the enormous change this is going to make um, in terms of their calculation of risk. Um, I spent quite a long time in the, in the insurance industry, not not in the automotive side, but but in completely different other area. Um, this is going to change everything. Uh, for instance, the the battery packs that we see in those vehicles uh, when they get damaged, um, they their their potential is extremely hazardous. Um, there was an example. Um, people may have heard this. There was one out at Rocky Point where somebody um, backed their SUV into the ocean, uh, and then dragged it out again. This was an electric vehicle. Uh, it looked fine. Uh, and then all of a sudden it burst into flames. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing the comment from somebody at the time saying, well, you know, it was just a rare, very unusual thing. Yeah, the, 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 the incidence of backing into the water, pretty rare. Yes. Uh, however, causing a major fire that you cannot put out, not so rare. Yeah. Um, the, the problem with a, a lithium-ion battery is that it is full of energy. So if that thing starts to short out, there's only one thing it can do, and it has to dissipate all of that energy before it will stop heating up. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, it, it, it will just get hotter and hotter and hotter. So, it may look fine, you know, at the scene of an accident. Uh, it could be an hour later before that thing actually ignites. Uh, so, these are things that, that technicians and people working on those vehicles need to be aware of. Um, so and, and people who insure them, ICBC in this case, need to, to get their heads around in the first place. Yes, this is just it. Um, and we're having conversations with them about that. And, you know, our industry is, you know, we're the ones sort of looking at the technology and how we're going to service it um, and how to safely do that. Uh, so, WCB will be a, a definitely a factor in that. And uh, it, you know, one of the things to to look at in those vehicles, uh, there's a bright orange cable that runs through them. And, yeah, you and, mentioned that. Yeah, this is this is something. This is that, high voltage. This stuff. is very high voltage. Um, your today's EVs are, are you know they they were below 800, but they're around 800 uh, volts right now. That's soon will be 1100 volts. Well, at around 100, it's going to kill you. Mm. Um, so this is a cable that you should not be touching under any circumstances. Uh, and if that gets damaged during an accident, there need to be people who know what they're doing to properly be able to deal with this. Um, and so, that brings our conversation back to the whole matter of properly trained and certified uh, mechanics. Yes, and, it, and and the the curriculums for this, as I was saying earlier, are only just being worked out now. Uh, so you know those people aren't even in school yet. The, the people that will be working on your vehicles. So um, now, do you have a program? Because you know this, you know that all of this change is coming. You, you, we already all British Columbians know about the, the the rule in 2040 when zero emission vehicles only will be allowed to be sold, or that's what's on the books right now. So we do know that this major transformation is coming, and the the auto repair crews of tomorrow are still in high school. Are you getting, are. are you getting to 
to those they kids are. in high school? We, we really are. Yes, we are. And this is a big part of what we're doing. Um, so we've got an outreach program. Um, I have some people uh, that work with us. Uh, Dela, who's who, who's our advisor in that group, she um, is actually going out to schools. She's going out to various different um, uh, uh seminars and and uh courses and challenges uh with students and and really reaching out and letting them know about the automotive repair industry um it's also a very very changing industry um there will be and and they're already beginning now there will be an entire class of technicians who never actually touch a car. Oh, really? They will. They're they just will, going to read the monitors they will and read the diagnose. Monitors. Uh, and it's that way. It, it's it's alive and well now. Um, there are um, groups now that actually that's what they do. There are companies that have got specialized um, diagnosticians, really, mm-hmm. um, and you're simply plugging the computer in into um, a line and. Uh, and that is actually re- being read by a specialized technician who then tells the, the person doing the service what is wrong with the vehicle and how to properly service it. needs a little it. bit of this and a little bit of it, that, it, precisely and this and that. Exactly. Okay. And, and it, this is, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it is critically important. It is it's also something that uh, it's not a nice to have. It's a need to have. Uh, if you want that vehicle to be functioning properly again, it needs to be scanned by an expert before any work is done and rescanned after it's done. Let me just read what I wrote, uh, what I said on the radio about an hour and a half ago. In our second hour today, the president and CEO of the Automotive Retailers Association, Adrian Scoville, will hopefully convince some of our listeners to reconsider their career paths. You will be shocked by some of his statistics. You have a website called BC Auto Careers. This is brand new stuff, and this is what you're using as an online vehicle to at least try to entice some young British Columbians to consider the automotive repair industry for a, a skilled career. Absolutely. And and one of the great things about uh, today's world is uh, we really need to open up to uh, more women in industry, more females in industry, more uh, different ethnic groups in industry, First Nations people uh, to enter our industry. Um, we've been somewhat uh, um, non-inclusive, I guess, if we, we use a term, mm-hmm. uh, or traditionally, and, and that is really something that is changing fast. And what we've actually found um, is that automotive painters coming through school, the girls beat the guys hands down. Interesting. We're hearing this over and over again is that they're actually really very good. Um, I have a friend actually who taught uh, high school mechanics for quite some time, and, and he was saying to me, you know, some of his best students are female. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, you know, the reason why is because the guys pretend they know. The girls ask questions. Right, right. Uh, and you have to These learn. Guys never read maps, right? Yeah, exactly. Or GPS now, or we'd still yeah, be all in the woods. Yeah, and, and the ego won't allow them to, to ask a question because that would be confessing they didn't know, right, particularly right. if you've got a girl in the classroom. So. Interesting stuff. But now, they're very, very good. What sort of feedback are you? Because we're talking about an apprenticeship program. There's something that really... It does not need to exist in automotive repair as it does in many of the other skilled trades in British Columbia, which are more highly regulated than the automotive repair industry. So what's the status with apprentices right now in automotive repair? Well, this is the issue right now is that because it is not actually a requirement um, what we found is that uh, people coming out of, uh, say, BCIT, out of their, their training program, uh, will enter into an apprenticeship and never actually complete it. 
Um, so there's sort of this never-ending, uh, uh, you know, listed as an, an apprentice because they don't actually have any requirement to complete within a given period of time, nor do they actually need the, the qualification at the end of the day. Anybody can enter the industry. Uh, and this is something that we're talking to government about. Right. Uh, and this is another area where ICBC is actually, uh, they are actually very much proponents of uh, certified and required training. So when I say there's no required training, for instance, say in the collision industry, this is true. Uh, but if you want to service a vehicle under ICBC insurance, if they're paying the bill, you do need to have that certification. And that would be what? The Red Seal? That would be a Red Seal. That would be a Red Seal. Yeah. So th- they are actually. Um, so there's more, more requirements in the car. Uh, repair uh, than the uh, automotive, the engine work. Uh, end it's of it one all. way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, it could very well be. Mind you, if anything, mechanical is going to be touched uh, in, in, for ICBC purposes, uh, which is a little more uh, rare that, that that you actually get into to more of the mechanical side. Uh, but if it is, then yes, you do need to be. Uh, there is that requirement. So actually, ICBC does a lot of positive work. Uh, in, in encouraging trades and requiring trades and also setting standards of performance. They they scrutinize everything. In fact, you know, they, I think it's probably a, a good thing and uh, maybe a blessing in disguise, if you will, uh, for our members. But there are very strict requirements on, on how vehicles are fixed. And it's ICBC, really, that does take a look at that and ensure that it is done properly on behalf of the consumer. Interesting. So the ICBC serviced vehicles, if it's going through an accident or some kind of formal complaint or, or program, then the uh, all of the people that will work on your car that are being paid as a result of it by ICBC will have to be... Uh, Red Seal, yeah. uh, pro- properly certified professionals. Yes. If you're just a person driving into a repair shop off the street because something's going clang, 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 and you don't know what it is, uh, there's no guarantee at all. So here's where that Canadian politeness gene gets in the way sometimes, Adrian, because it's it's sort of in our nature. Is asking this young man if he has the proper credentials to actually service and repair my car for the amount of money he's just quoted me is that rude oh it might be rude maybe i shouldn't ask him and sometimes we don't yeah well this is just it and and you know any uh any reputable service shop if you ask them that question will be quite proud to tell you that they do employ those people right that their people are certified um and they do have the correct equipment in order to do it and generally speaking i would say you know any service shop uh you know worth its salt um, is going to be able – going to have people who can properly advise you and they will tell you um, what it takes in order to properly service that vehicle and explain to you what's to be done. But by all means, ask. Ask that question. Not only do they have certified technicians, um, but do they have the correct equipment to meet the original equipment specifications? Right, right. Uh, and that's a perfectly reasonable thing to ask. And yet some of us are reluctant to do so because, you know, you don't want to offend them. They're going to be working on your car. If you, if you get them upset, they're going to take it out on your car and charge it twice. <laughs> and maybe not True. do the kind of job you True. wanted in the first place. Yeah, but when so you're So we're on, reluctant and we, are. We, we hide behind our politeness. We do, but it's not a great place to be hiding no. when you're doing 120 on the Coca-Cola. That's right. You and know, and that's paying the, the bill at the end and, of the day and, anyway. And paying the bill at the end of the day. Absolutely. So then in that in that regard, when, it, when it, you talk about uh, the skilled requirements and investigating on your own behalf, do you have the credentials necessary to do this job? And if the person balks or squirms 
or doesn't look you in the eye, then maybe you turned into the wrong shop. Or says, you know, you don't need that. I've been in this business for 30 years. Right. You know, when you, when you look at a, a, a vehicle, say, that was, uh, you know, a modern vehicle, something out of the 2000s, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, as I was saying earlier, I was just down at SEMA. We talked to some of the original equipment manufacturers. Um, so this old world where we we've all seen cars, you know, being crashed into a brick wall with a dummy inside, and yeah. they, they they get a general idea of what might happen to you if you were the poor person in that car. That's right, sure. Uh, well, now that's all done by computers. Yes, folks. I just learned this during the news break a few minutes ago. The era of the crash test dummy is over. They're all out of work. So that band in Winnipeg yeah. is really, really an anachronism now, aren't they? Yeah, they're 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 all out of work. I think they're being re-educated to be... So st- all, all those crash tests are now completely computerized. They are. So they can crash a vehicle in a day, like theoret- in theory, you know, several hundred times. Sure. So the, 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 the safety of the occupant now is much better. There could be as many as, uh, say, six, eight different kinds of steel between your front bumper and where you're sitting. Mm-hmm. And they're all designed to do different things. Some are designed to break, some are designed to bend, and some are designed not to bend. But this idea, you know, you would think, well, give me all the stuff that doesn't bend. Energy is going somewhere, so it will go to you if you're the thing that bends uh-huh. in that car. That's how you will get severely injured. So when you see a car, one of these cars that looks crumpled, and you say, oh, my goodness, how did you survive? You survived because it crumpled. Right. That's where all the energy was dissipated. And you talked about uh, 60s vehicles versus the, the modern vehicle after the crash. Right. Uh, the car, as used to use your words, today's car is barely recognizable. It almost disintegrates compared to that land yacht from the 60s. That right. you, you barely get a ripple on one front bumper, right? Yeah, but the ripples all went through whoever was sitting in the driver's seat. Exactly. Um, so you think about things impacting you, injuring you. Not so much. It's you impacting things that that generally will kill you. Um, so a modern vehicle, one of the ways – the way that they're actually uh, – the, the way the welds are all done around the door frame, for instance, um, they will actually – they use what's called a spot weld, which is about the size of a dime. Um, and there might be, say, two dozen of them, we'll say, in, the, in that door frame. Whereas they used to just weld the entire thing using what they called a bead weld. The entire seam would be welded. And, and the, you know, you may look at that and think, well, geez, give me the old one that's welded all the way through. No, you don't want that. Mm. Because it's designed to give way at a certain point or remain flexible. So you imagine you, you, you put on a, a jacket and it's got snaps on it. And you're running down the road and you catch it on something. It's going to pop open. That's actually what you want. Right, as opposed to buttons, and they all go flying off in different well, directions. Back to this apprenticeship thing, as I can, because we're almost out of time. How much, how long a term does an apprentice serve? Graduates high school and then goes into the car mechanical program? It's a four-year program. Oh, it is? Okay. At it's the end of which program. you get your red seal? At the end of which you get your red seal. And this, you know, for the consumer awareness, I think that, that uh, you know, it'd be hard-pressed to find anybody outside of the industry or, or currently in government, et cetera, who is not aware that you do not need to be certified. Well, we learned something here this afternoon, friends. No question about that. Uh, BC Automotive Retailers Association has has your own website. uh, And also, you've got the career website. And that's the one I was going to lean on uh, by way of, uh, uh, as you're leaving us. It's bcautocareers.ca. And that, in turn, will link you back to the automotive retailer's other main site. But if you've got a young person in your life looking for good, steady work, literally for a lifetime... 
have them take a look at bcautocareers.ca. And uh, Adrian Scoville. Thanks for coming by. Happy New Year, sir. Happy we appreciate you. your signing off Vancouver Consumer for 2019 with there us today. There we go. Final show. All right. Thanks very much. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Adrian Scoville, President and CEO of the Automotive Retailers, uh, Retailers Association of British Columbia, for a very informative, if not somewhat disturbing, visit. Uh, interesting facts there, and good to know some of that stuff about who's under the who's looking under the hood of your car. Time for Ask Andrew, as our producer Andrew Ferreira takes a look at, in this case, the evolution of e-commerce over what has been a very active decade. You remember 2010? Uh, yeah, you know we were you know we were all the Olympics were wrapping up and everyone had a BlackBerry. Uh, what else? The iPhone wasn't really a thing at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, uh, in 2010, uh, this is U- these are U.S. numbers, so you can kind of you know scale them down a bit for Canada. Uh, but in 2010, 7.2% of retail sales in the U.S. were made online. So 7%, 7 out of every 100. Okay, uh, and this year we're scheduled to probably hit about 17% of all of all commerce is done online. So that's a it's a healthy jump. Sure. Uh one of the things that I found really really interesting was that mobile shopping just didn't exist essentially for about 6 or 7 years this decade. In 2010, mobile shopping accounted for I think only about 1.3% of e-commerce. Uh flash forward to last year, 44%. Oh my. Of e-shop of e-shopping is done on on your mobile device because mm-hmm. at some point in 2017, we as a society, I guess, collectively decided uh, we're okay. We're okay with buying things on our phones now. We can trust it now. And after 2017, it's just taken off. And at some point, it might you know over you know go over and above what we do on our computers just because of all the things that we have access to on our, on our mobile devices. Sure. So there you go. The two big takeaways are you know mobile shopping. Really, really now exists when, you know, when we had Blackberries, you know, remember those web browsers on an old Blackberry? That's right. And it just took you like two minutes to load something. And now it's instant. You can just one button buy, you know, all those awful useless things that you're going to throw away in about four weeks. Quite a decade. Almost impossible to imagine where we'll be 10 years from now. I don't think we're going to have flying cars, but I would (laughs) like that. If you have a question that you would like Andrew to answer, well, tweet us, ask Andrew, and it's at Van Consumer. Uh, very quickly here, uh, we, we told you about this last hour. We're going to do it again because there's a party on Tuesday night that is not going to happen. The uh, Concord New Year's Eve Vancouver Fireworks Show, you know, the one down at the waterfront that we all go to every New Year's Eve, is canceled this year. Why? Because they're getting ready for a real big whiz-bang la-ti-da show next year. They're moving the location from the waterfront at the harbor to False Creek and Science World in that area. And I, for some mysterious reason, that move is costing us the fireworks show for next Tuesday night. So keep it in mind, if you are planning on going to see the fireworks at uh, Vancouver Harbor on New Year's Eve, you're not going to get much. You're going to have to bring whatever goes off because it's canceled. Keep that in mind and don't be disappointed then. Be disappointed now. That is our show for today and for this year. I'm Sterling Fox. See you next year, next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.